Welcome to the Holy Huga Podcast. I'm Jamie, your host, and I'm really glad you're here. I'm a wife and a mom of five who loves scruffy hospitality and intentional living. In this podcast, I dive into seven of the major pillars that create the popular Danish practice of Huga and how they intersect with the Christian faith. My prayer is that these conversations will help us both create homes that reflect the one whose spirit is making a home in us. Come on in. In their efforts to live a Hugely lifestyle, it's not unusual to hear the Danes announce, there's no bad weather, only bad clothing. Even in the middle of a mid-May blizzard, y'all. As a former Phoenician, living in the sub-zero temps of Minnesota, I sometimes struggle to maintain a smile while my teeth are chattering. But I've learned to trust that short little proverb of my Danish relations, because putting on better clothing really does make a difference, not only to my body temperature, but also to my perspective. It's the rational voice that says, if you choose not to find joy in the snow, you will have less joy in your life but you're still going to have the same amount of snow. And isn't that the way of life, friends? We can rarely change our circumstances, but we can almost always change our perspective. Our guest today is more than familiar with bad weather days. She's experienced the dark shadows of life for several years now, but has found ways to draw her gaze to the light. My Danish husband would say she's put on better clothes in order to thrive, not just survive some bitter cold. I want to welcome Stacy Thacker to the show. She's a wife, a mother, and the co-author of the new book, Unraveled, Hope for the Mom at the End of Her Rope. Welcome to the show, Stacy. I'm glad you're here. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. It is my pleasure to be here. And what a great topic, even just off the top, to begin talking about. So thanks so much for having me. Well, can you just start us out by telling us a little bit more about yourself to those who might not be familiar? Why are you the person to talk about contentment? Well, the first thing I'm going to say before I introduce myself is I want to just just say I'm a learner and I'm a student of this. And so if I'm the best person, it's because I'm in process. And so I um, I remember years ago, I had a pastor who would start all of his sermons with, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to you today from the book of Matthew. And I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me, but mostly I'm talking to me because I need it more than anybody. Um, and so as I, as I settle into this discussion that I'm so excited to be having, please know that I am first the student and the learner as we're talking and I'm a verbal processor. So sometimes that helps me to talk it out. Um, I hope it does for others as well. But who am I? My my name is Stacey Thacker. I am a wife and a mom. I have four girls. My oldest turns 23 next week, which is overwhelming to me. I can't believe she's 23. Um, My second oldest is almost 20. Then I have a 16-year-old and a 12-year-old. My husband and I have been married for 28 years. Um, We live in Central Florida, very close to that magical place that lots of people want to visit and escape reality. Um, We've lived in Central Florida for about 20 years, and um, we're happy to become a Midwestern girl by by birth. So I know a little bit about those cold weather days, Um, not maybe as much as my fellow friends up in Minnesota, but um, Midwest and snow and all the things, all the seasons, I've experienced all those. I miss some of that. Um, if I'm honest, um, I'm a writer. Um, I started writing about uh, 12, almost 13 years ago. It's actually 13 years ago. 
that is crazy. Started writing online um, and just really um, got to know the process of writing through blogging um, and met some amazing um, internet uh, creators, content creators like Jamie and other friends, um, like my co-author, Brooke McLaughlin, um, of the book you just mentioned, um, and just started writing. God started opening doors, and I just began telling my story, maybe for the first time, honestly, um, when that Unraveled book came out as Hope for the Weary Mom, and that was over 10 years ago. And I really kind of stepped up and said, hey, I'm not doing great. I, I want to be honest about where I am. And so just a little bit about my story, just a weary mom, you know, just trying to do the everyday and in the middle of all of that everydayness, which, you know, we have to find our perspective in that as well. Some bigger life stories began to unfold um, that were slightly more challenging than, goodness, I can't get the laundry done, which is a big deal when you have four kids and, you know, they're all under a certain age. So, or even when they're older, that's even hard. But um, not to negate the everyday, but some bigger life stories begin to unfold. And so your reference to um, some of the bad weather, there've been some, some bigger storms for sure. Mm. And I love how you have used your social media and just the, the opportunities that God has given you almost in a catharsis way to process some of these things that you're walking through, but also to be able to extend a hand out to the rest of us as we're able to sort of peel back the shutters or you peel back the shutters a little bit and give us a a glimpse at what it looks like to hold hard well and to sort of reorient our gaze on the right things, even, even when it's not always easy to do so because circumstances are hard. So with that, I do want us to put our gaze on the right place because I think we we will go wherever we gaze. So as we start out, I just want to point our eyes at some truth from Scripture. I'm going to be reading from Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18. And this really was a central verse in, in the writing of my book, Holy Hugo, because I think it encapsulates just this feeling for us in, in Minnesota of, you know, we're in the midst of really bad weather. But, so here it is, the prophet declares, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. What does, Stacy, that lack of contentment reveal about a person as we as we kind of process those verses in Habakkuk and how hard it was for him and yet he says I will take joy in the Lord what does a lack of that like the opposite of that reveal about a person and maybe their belief of who God is mm-hmm. well I love Habakkuk it's one of my favorite books a farmer prophet writer worship leader um I think what we see in his story in particular, and I think this is true in a lot of places, Jamie, in scripture, is we see a process. And Habakkuk didn't really start out content. He was he was very upset. He was very upset with the Lord about what was his circumstances. So, you know, the enemy was coming. He didn't agree with God's plan. He was really upset. And so he was pouring out his heart to the Lord. And so when we see him just three chapters later, of course, we don't know the time frame exactly that he got to that point. Um, I think he had had been looking at things from his very narrow perspective to borrow your word. I think, you know, we can only see what's in front of us. And so I think he looked around, he had an estimation, his very narrow gaze um, at what was right in front of him. And he, he, 
he thought it was unfair and he was upset about it. And so he took it to the Lord, which I think is appropriate. And he began to, what I would say, preach it, preach the gospel to himself of who God is. God, you're holy. You're, you have pure eyes. You're, you're, you're good. Like he began to pour out his heart and then it shifted him. And even in chapter two of Habakkuk, it talks about that he goes up to the watchtower, which I like to say was where he could get a better view of what was going on, kind of gain God's eyes for that. And so I think what I do in my life as well is when I'm when I'm very focused on the current chaos in my life, and let's just face it, um, that's real easy to do. But I think that gaining that perspective, sometimes it takes seeing differently Sometimes it takes getting quiet to hear from God. And sometimes it takes um, just even a blind faith where you're just going to say, yeah, I don't see it and I don't hear it, but I'm going to trust because I know just like Habakkuk preached to his own soul, I know who you are. And I can I can look back on my history and say, God, you've been so faithful, um, not just to me, but to people in scripture that I can point back to. But in my own life, I can I can count on my hand the number of times um, you've been faithful and good, and I can recall those and I can remember. And so I can settle in to a by faith contentment because I know that even though what I'm seeing doesn't match up to what I'm experiencing with you, that I can, that that doesn't matter, that the, the most important thing is who you are. I think that's really that journey that he took. And I find for me, Jamie, that is a daily it's a daily thing. Like it's rare that I wake up going, Oh yeah, this is going to be a great day. You know, I think because my history has been that hard things do happen and hard things keep happening. But at the same time, when I go back to those verses in Habakkuk, even if, even if everything I see is chaos and nothing um, in front of me makes sense, I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to worship the Lord because he's worthy, even if my circumstances um, seem to tell me something different. Recollection is so paramount in the lives of the Danes and in a Hugely lifestyle. You know, they're constantly looking back on what was. My my in-laws and my husband love to sift through pictures and they have old slides where they'll just take a whole evening, you know, in the month and just sit down and watch through old slides, just recounting and recalling the goodness of their lives. And it really does help to to um, reorient their gaze. And it, you know, I think that we see that in scripture. God constantly encouraged the Israelites to set up remembrance stones and points along their journey so that they can point to what he has done. And in doing that, you're actually saying to yourself, I know God was faithful then, so I can trust that he'll be faithful now. And, it, and like Stacy said, it is a daily thing. No one has arrived in this. There is a writer, and I'm, I'm, I cannot remember who it is, but they said that our minds are leaky vessels. Mm. I think we, we remember we may be good the night before, but in the morning we've, if it, it's all leaked out, you know. So it's like it, that idea that it, if we don't keep remembering, we forget. That paints a you know? picture, so doesn't that's it? That's what I mean. You said that, yeah, leaky vessels for sure. What about when you feel like your whole life has been put in the slush pile, or maybe that you're just a side character in your own story? How can your determination to cling to contentment actually point others to the gospel. Mm. Well, you know, you raised a, a point earlier and when you were talking about social media and that sort of thing, I think so often um, it, it's the flip side of social media where we see everyone else, their lives look fantastic and amazing. And it's not that I don't edit my life, but I think being honest about my life and being willing to put that out there in books or social media or whatever, 
Um, I always said that when people, when you're doing great, people are inspired by you, but when you are honest with them, they connect with you. And so I remember um, really early on, a friend stopped me at church when I really started writing just honestly from, from hard places and just dropping in those hard moments and just being super uh, transparent. And she stopped me at church and she said, you know, golly, you were so honest. And I remember Jamie at that point, like I had like this little mini panic attack. I was like, oh my goodness, I really was honest, you know? And I, and I thought, well, I can't take it back now. Like I can't go backwards. But what I found in that is that being willing to go first and being willing to just hold your story loosely is that people want to connect with you and they can find their story within, even if it's not specific. I mean, there's probably very few people that have gone through exactly what you or I have gone through. But when you have, when you hold your story loosely and because you're not really the author of your story, even though as writers, we like to pretend that we are. When I hold it loosely and I give it back to the Lord to use as He wants, what I find is people connect with me and they they feel seen and known, not just by my story, but it's a reminder to them that they're that they're not unusual or they're not, you know, the only one. I mean, isn't that the thing we always say? I'm the only one who struggled with contentment or have struggled with this lot in life. I think even just saying that out loud is that people say, Oh my goodness, that's normal. Like I'm not supposed to have it all figured out. And so I think um, allowing, just being a little open-handed there has been, it's terrifying in some ways because you can't take it back and then people kind of know everything or they feel like they know everything. Um, But I've only seen the Lord use that. I've only seen Him use it um, as I've spoken to people maybe when I speak or I bump into them in different places and they'll, with tears in their eyes, say, how did you know? How did you know? And I said, well, because that's my story too. And so I just think the Lord um, honors that, and 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 hopefully in that it's not about me. It's it really points them to Him because He uses that as a as a you know um, an inroad to their own heart that maybe they've been holding on to some part hard part of their story a little tightly. And I think to your credit, you do that so well, Stacy. I've been, uh, I've borne witness to it myself as I've followed you on social media for the last few years. I think social media, and we can have tons of conversations, and many conversations have been had about how, you know, you only get to see a glimpse of what people are doing and the successes that they are having. You don't actually see what they haven't done, or maybe some of the, you know, three steps forward, two steps back kind of dance. And, you know, we we can have a Luddite overreaction to social media and just decide, well, I'm jumping off because it does um, create a sense of dis-ease in me or a discontent. But I think there's a healthy balance. And I think you hold out, you know, both sides of the coin for all of us. All the while, I think, being mindful to protect those who are, you know, in your sphere and that you can actually reach out and touch on a day-to-day basis. There is a balance for those of us who live somewhat of a public life um, on social media. We have to be mindful of being real and authentic while also protecting those of us whose stories we carry on a day-to-day basis. And I think you do that so well. You kind of have alluded to your story when we began today, but I'm wondering if you could share just a little bit more of your life with our listeners and how you remain content in the midst of a life that, you know, could easily make any of us grow discontent. Yeah, there's there's kind of, um, really, it's been over the past eight years where there's been, I would call kind of like spikes in my story where people might point to and go, oh, well, that seems a little out of 
out of the norm it seems hard or, well, I can't imagine. Um, eight years ago, my dad passed away from um, basically a battle with cancer. He'd had cancer for years, but he passed away rather suddenly. And so that was really probably, um, I was already writing. I was already struggling with just the weariness of life, just the heaviness of being a mom and my husband traveled a lot. And so there was just some some like everyday things we talked about. That's just hard. I'm not negating that. But when my dad died, um, it just was sudden and unexpected. And so in the next, I would say over the next year, the Lord was was very kind to give me um, a grieving space over that next year. And I really processed um, that, I think probably in a, in a, I would say a fairly healthy way, went through all the emotions, which I know that you're in understanding right now yourself. Um, I just, the Lord was very sweet in that year to give me that time. Um, I came um, out of that year um, and my, one of my girls, my third daughter, um, experienced a, a chronic illness that we had no clue was happening right under our noses, um, had been happening for a while. Um, she was put in the hospital and it took days and it was eight days in pediatric intensive care, you know, things like that, that are just, I mean, when it, when it's your kids, it just becomes an even greater thing. Um, it was almost like Jamie, honestly, like, um, when I lost my dad, um, the Lord was saying, do you trust me with your, with your past? Um, and then as I was facing, um, unknowns with my daughter and she was eight at the time, by the way, um, sitting in her hospital room, he was saying, do you trust me with your future? Um, and it was hard um, because, you know, as moms, we want to fix it and take care. And so I sat by her hospital bed and we finally came out with a diagnosis that wasn't a quick fix. Um, it's an ongoing daily chronic illness that we have um, even recently had to walk through some hard days. She's now um, 16. So she's um, she's been dealing with this for over seven years. So she's she's a trooper and I've learned a lot from her about holding hard and, and being content. Um, but I've had to kind of mother myself through that, so to speak, when it's not, um, it's not just me, you know, it happens to be my daughter as well. And, and answering hard questions, like you said, like, why, why are children allowed to go through such horrible things that most adults couldn't go through themselves? And so, um, that as a perspective has been super challenging. Um, and so she was diagnosed, I I'm going to say it's 2015. Okay. So 2015 and that enough, that's enough. Yeah, chronic illness, things with our kids, losing a parent, those are hard. Um, but two years later, my husband um, suffered a chronic, uh, a sudden hearty, <laughs> I'm going to say this again, a sudden cardiac arrest, um, no signs or symptoms. Um, we weren't anticipating it at all. Um, the, the cardiac event was, uh, was extensive. He was unconscious at least for 15 to 20 minutes without oxygen. And so it, there was a domino effect in our lives. In fact, honestly, um, that part of the story is part of probably the biggest piece. And so I remember standing in the ICU, this is again, just two years after my daughter's diagnosis and people from my, uh, my church and my local friends coming and saying, I can't believe this is happening to you again. Like it was like another thing, you know? And so holding hard within hard, right? That's, that's kind of my story. It's like just any of those one pieces of that puzzle are hard, um, but hard on top of hard, it became another layer. Now, the sweetest part about those stories um, is that I could look back and say, okay, 
I know that God used my dad's passing to prepare me for what I faced in my future. I know that sitting in the hospital with my daughter prepared me to sit um, and hold space with my husband in in recovery for a month. There are things about each step of the that that story that God used in the next part of my story, and probably teaching me contentment as well uh, along the way of trusting him in moments. Um, I tend to be one of those people that um, I like to fix and I like to take care and I like to figure things out. And, and each of those, there was a point where I overwhelmingly knew this was not something I could manipulate or fix or take care of. It was, a, I was going to, you know, we talk about that idea of posture. It was a posture of being a recipient of, of the Lord's grace in each and every one of those crisis moments. And so faithful, so faithful. Um, my daughter, though, recently has struggled, is doing well. Um, my husband survived, which is a miracle in and of itself. He he really statistically shouldn't have. Um, and we've been on a healing journey with that for the past five years. And it has radically changed this side of our story. Um, our lives are very different than they were um, previously. Um, we just live in a different way, that, in a way that I would say to people that I never planned on or imagined. However, that that understanding and and learning, oh, I love that about scripture. And I think it's the apostle Paul says I had to learn contentment, man, that's my story. I, I, it's not come naturally. It's come sitting in hospital rooms. It's come sitting, holding the hand of my baby girl. It's come weeping with my mom. It's, it's come in so many different forms. Um, but to say, you know, this is how the Lord has taught me. This is how he's taught me who he is. And when I see that in scripture and I see, you know, Paul or Naomi or um, other people in scripture that I say they learn contentment. It wasn't natural. It wasn't like, oh, life is good and life is always good. It's like, this is hard and I can find him in this because when you are in a season like that and you lean into who he is, that that's what matters. And I think that's what Habakkuk was saying too. It's who he is day in and day out. It's who the Lord is. You started out by clarifying that, you know, you're a learner, you're learning and not to geek out and be a word nerd on you, but learning is a present participle verb, meaning it's, it's still happening. You know, it, it, we will never arrive in that process of contentment um, until one day when we are perfected um, and with Christ. But how do you not let hard become the anthem of your days? What are, when you're tempted to complain about your circumstances, and to be honest, Stacey, as an outsider, I feel like, wow, if anybody has a right to complain about her circumstances, well, Stacey, that's you. So when you are tempted to complain or tilt toward a sense of maybe entitlement, like, God, you got, you got it wrong here. My story is broken. What, what were you thinking? What holds you back or draws you out of that frame of mind? Are there any practical tools you found to help sort of reshift your attitude and reframe maybe the situation? I love that you said reframe. And um, that's such a powerful, uh, it's such a powerful word. I also love words. Um, I, I, I think for me, there's some keys that I've learned along the way. Um, and they're things that are hardwired into me that I think God gave me very early on that I've returned to. Um, the first is worship. And I think that's one reason I love Habakkuk so much is because he's a worship leader. Um, it, it literally is, I know deep in my heart that I have to I have to worship. I have to have times where for me, um, and worship is just really recognizing who God is. I do that through writing, but I also love music. And so for me, it literally may mean I gotta, I gotta stop the verbal 
processing and just turn on some music and sing. I got to listen to some good, godly, vertical worship music that's all about who God is. Um, that's one thing. Another thing I think for me is, um, and it, it sounds, I don't know, predictable, but a gratitude list, I for years kept one and then got away from it. And again, when you're living in hard, it's really hard to be, oh, I'm thankful for this today, you know. Um, but recently I found, um, I have a, a prayer journal and I pray for different things on different days. And Friday is the day I pray for myself. And I'm primarily focusing on things that I'm growing through. And I just kept coming and feeling like, oh my goodness, I'm just asking for things and whining. And I was like, you know, I have to get back to my list. And so I literally started the numbered list, Jamie, of, okay, number one. And I try to do at least one thing per day. And so on Fridays, I'm, I'm at least listing seven things that I can recall, go back over my week. What am I thankful for? And it's not always big things. Sometimes it's, hey, um, a, a girl from Life Group brought me a Starbucks or something. You know, it's not even big things. It's not like we were able to pay a bill or something this week. It's, it can be really little things. And sometimes I think that is what it makes it, it makes it more well-rounded and that it doesn't always have to be a big thing that you're thankful. It just puts you in that, um, that, pro- that posture of gratitude and it begin you begin to look for things too along the way. Oh, I'm going to add that to my list this week, or I'm so grateful for that. And even just the small, but the other thing I want to say too, um, I, I spend a lot of, have spent over the past several years, uh, more, um, more and more, um, just sitting with the Lord and being honest with him, because you talk about complaining and how, what happens when we complain is it just brings everyone else down. Now I have people that I can complain to, right? I have people that know me well enough that are safe places. And I think we all need that, but man, I know the Lord personally, I can sit down, I can dump it all. And he's not going to be overwhelmed. Like he knows. And really that process of just kind of being honest with him in prayer, Lord, this is what I'm struggling with and naming it and just pouring it out. That empties my heart of all the ugly and all the the bitterness, all the struggle. And it leaves, it carves out that space in my heart that he can fill with his spirit. And so if, <clears throat> excuse me, if I take that time to dump it out um, in, a, in a super honest way, I'm able to receive from him once he, what he wants to pour in. And it never does either of us any good for me to hide it from him anyway, or think I'm hiding it. It just makes me feel worse. So those are just, I think, kind of three things for me to be um, content, or even another way I might say it is wholehearted, is I need to be worshiping on a regular basis. I need to be in an honest prayer with the Lord in an ongoing conversation. And I need to be, I need to be grateful. I'm intentionally grateful for the things for who he is and what he's done in my life. One of the things I love most about the story of Habakkuk, and you can actually see it with so many other um, of the major and minor prophets and some of the heroes of the faith, you know, they didn't take to their version of social media and declare their rights um, to others. They didn't complain to their politicians and write a letter. When they are faced with something that really put them ill at ease, they turned right to the one who could do something about it. <laughs> they went to God. And like you said, there's nothing wrong with having a circle of, of people, a cloud of witnesses, of a safe place that you can go to and talk things through. Some of us are verbal processors, and that's very helpful. But I think let's not forget to bring it to the one who is in full control of the situation at the risk of sounding like an after-school special here, Stacy, I'm wondering, 
Um, how do you respond to, let's say, your friends or neighbors, well-meaning people who ask, well, why do bad things happen to good people? I think that's just an innate question in all of us. Um, how do you respond to the person who struggles to find the grass on this side of the fence green enough? You know, that's, I, I think that is the cry of the human heart. And um, I've thought about that from a lot of different perspectives, but I, I think there's scripture and I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% where it is that talks about the rain falls on the good and the bad. Yes, um, Ecclesiastes, that whole book that. is about that. That sound that's perfect. That's exactly it. I've re- I've been in the Old Testament, like I've been reading through chronologically, and so all the books are like, it's like a soup in my head. It's all been amazing, and I've been loving doing it. But, um, but yeah, I think that I think that we, you know, what I think it is. I think if we feel like we're basically good people and bad things happen, that that we deserve more. Um, and I I I, I see hard things happening in in everyone's life. Um, we don't always know. Um. But usually, usually there's something that uh, that someone you meet along the way can point to. Um, I think it's just the wrong question because I think it's that is very um, that's very me focused. And and I think the thing I've had to lean into, Jamie, honestly, is that God is sovereign and He is working out a much bigger plan than just what's going on in my life. Now that doesn't mean that He doesn't care, because I do believe He's a personal God, and I do believe that He cares about what's going on in my heart, in my life, in my world, my children, my husband, all of those things. Um, but His plan is bigger than just me, and so how I fit into that um, is unique and interesting. Um, but asking why, I mean, basically, what people are saying is, why do bad things happen to good people? Is why why do bad things happen to me? Because we we maybe have lost our faith that good things do happen to me, and I I don't know. I, again, I think it comes down to perspective. But I think I have to look at the bigger story and say, you know what, Lord, if I'm going to be available to you and you're going to use my life um, to best glorify you, who am I to say that the hard things in my life aren't the best way for others to see you at work in my life? I, I don't know. I, I'm not God, and I don't have those answers. So. Um, I, I don't know. And that is a hard question. I think also, um, if we know the full story of scripture, we know that God does have a history of dealing with the evil in our world. He does take care of it. And ultimately, well, in the end, we know that because we know the end of the story. But it's hard to grab onto that when you're thinking about right now. I think that's why God asks us to live for that bigger picture so that we can um, we can see from the be- the story from the beginning of the end. Um, it involves unique individual people, but the overall story um, is that in the end that he will deal with those bad things that have happened and um, he takes care of his own. And I think to be clear, I think we're all guilty of whether voicing those words or thinking them in our heart. I mean, I would be the first to step up to the microphone and say, I have thought those same things. Why do bad things happen to good people, whether they happen to me or my friends or people that I think deserve better? And I think that's really at the heart of it is we have this dangerous notion that we deserve more than God is giving us. And and really, that's just a, a posture of entitlement. The fact that He gives us one more breath is more than we deserve. But it's hard articulating that to yourself or to others when you are in the midst of something hard. And that's where you have to lean on the muscle memory of who God was, who He is, and who He will continue to be. You have to set your gaze off of yourself and really onto Him, because everything else in this world will crumble. And He's the only true thing 
that will last. And, you know, for for a person, and I had kind of mentioned this um, at the beginning of our time together, for a person who constantly moved around as a child, I think I moved around 18 times in 22 years, there's something so compelling to me about a God who never changes because I felt like for most of my life, my life was rearranging itself by the second. And, and that in itself helped me find some contentment with the things around me that were kind of crumbling because he was steady. He was firm and never changing. And that really is a message we can offer to the world when they see our hearts set towards contentment. They can recognize, you know, oh, that that's a steady voice. And I think that's something that's so compelling to me about the Danish people because, you know, they're often known as being very stoic, but I see it as being very steady, you know, just being a, a steady, calm voice in a sea of tumult. So one of the core foundations of Huga is that the outward life will always affect the inward life, Stacy. So I want to know what is something outward that you have enjoyed right now or lately that's really helped to give you the proper perspective, really helped to reorient your inward life? Well, it's interesting. Um, I mentioned the gratitude list, which is an outward expression because I, I feel like as I, I'm actually counting and writing down and keeping track of those things. It's kind of an outward thing as well. But I think very closely connected to contentment, um, and even by definition, is that it's a it's a resting satisfaction, um, that it's an un, it's an easiness of mind where we're not always grasping for things. Um, and I think part of what's helped me is getting into a rhythm of contentment and rest. I'm not very good at it, but I think just the outward expression of just being intentional with Sabbath, I'm trying to guard that very tightly. Now it's been harder now that school is starting and we have two kids still in homeschool at our house. And so I found even my schedule with working in school and all the things crowding out, but keeping a watch on my schedule um, has helped outwardly help reorient my inward heart and my mind to keep it from racing to the next thing over and over again um, on a daily basis. So those are a couple things that I think I could say have been helpful outwardly that has been um, reorienting my heart. That is a perfect segue to our next episode where we will be chatting about rest. And I think it's just one of the um, seven tenets of Huga that are so intricately woven. And, you know, you cannot really have one without the other. So I'm so glad you brought that up. I think for me, just some practical way to set my gaze to contentment lately is I've deleted social media apps from my phone. And the one that I, I feel like uh, is too hard to get in and out of um, after I've deleted it, I've sort of pushed it over to a further screen so that it's not within easy reach and it's not always right in front of my face and in my gaze. And so it makes it a little harder to feel discontent when I am not being flooded by an overabundance of messages all the time. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a great idea. I love that you said you just slid it over to another screen because even that visibly is, is narrowing your gaze into the things um, that aren't going to bring discontentment or discouragement to your heart, making it a little harder to get to those things. Um, that's, that's, I love that, Jamie. I think that's super smart. Just kind of quieting your spaces. We chatted a couple episodes ago about our physical spaces, but you know, we hold mental space too. And sometimes mental and soul clutter can be just as physically draining as physical clutter. So just putting it over on a different screen has helped immensely. 
Well, the Danes are considered some of the happiest people on earth, not because they have perfect lives, mind you, but because they find ways to embrace whatever weather they face. Remember, no bad weather, only bad clothing. In life, you can really only control two things, friends, what you give and your attitude about what's been given to you. If you choose not to find joy in the snow, you will have less joy in your life, but you're still going to have the same amount of snow. Thank you so much for joining me here, Stacy, and for giving us just a peek into, into your shadows and how you've brought light to the world in the midst of it. I really appreciate your candidness, Stacy. truly. Well, thanks for having me, Jamie. It's been a blessing. And I just want to say this, this your book has really blessed me. It's been uh, something that I have enjoyed engaging with and sharing on social media and with all of my friends. And so thank you so much for writing it. I know a lot uh, for a writer that you get to live what you write because God is super generous that way. And so I pray that this is, is blessing you, even though I'm sure that it's challenging you in this season as well. But thank you so much for doing that for all of us. Thank you for that encouragement, Stacey. I really appreciate it. And if you want to learn more about other ways that you can cling to Hugo-like contentment, be sure to grab a copy of my book, Holy Hugo, Creating a Place for People to Gather and the Gospel to Grow. The next time, as I said, we're going to chat about the Hugo tenet of rest, something we all could probably use quite a bit more of. But for now, I want you to take heart with this benediction of contentment. It's found in Philippians 4, 4 through 7, and it reads, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus.